Well, the other day, <clears throat> I, was at a, I was at a meeting here at the cathedral, and one of our members asked a wonderful question. He said, you know, our clergy are always praying for mercy and understanding and compassion and forgiveness. That's all well and good. But when are we going to hear them pray that the people who are creating all of this pain and suffering and injustice in the world, when are we going to hear them pray that those people be held accountable? When are we going to pray that they be brought to justice? Whatever happened to accountability? His question had this exhilarating effect on me. I found myself thinking four things all at once. And uh, I have to admit, a part of me was thinking that I wanted to withdraw and defend a little bit. But a bigger part of me got really curious and excited by his question, which I think is an excellent, clarifying question. And I immediately started thinking about this story about Jesus, who in a fit of rage drives the money changers from the temple, overturning their tables, pouring out their coins, whipping them, and shouting, creating a huge scene. Jesus' anger in this story is so pure and so righteous that those who witnessed it were reminded of Psalm 69, which says, It is zeal for God's house that has consumed me. <clears throat> Well, as a role model, all I can say is sometimes Jesus is a little confusing. Apparently, this was not one of those times when Jesus was all about loving his enemies. He went after those money changers with a purifying rage. It was as if they were assaulting his mother, which in a sense they were. So whenever I hear this story, I find myself asking the same question, what do we do with our anger at injustice? It turns out this Psalm 69, this psalm they started quoting as they watched Jesus flip the tables over, it's what we call one of the imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory. Isn't that a great word? Imprecations. These are the psalms that beg God to bring down his judgment and calamity and curses upon our enemies. Psalm 69 specifically asks, asks God to strike our enemies blind, afflict them with palsy, destroy their camps, add guilt upon their guilt. I love that one. It's not enough that they're already guilty for whatever crimes they've committed. We want God to add more guilt on top of it. And to cap it all off, we want God to blot them from the book of the living. In other words, damn them to hell for all time, I guess. What do we do with this psalm? What do we do with our anger? The scholars tell us that these psalms were meant to be read out loud by the congregation as a kind of cathartic experience. Apparently, they never heard of Anglican chant. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It works for me. I find whenever I get angry, it helps to chant my feelings. You know, it's, I really hate you right now. 
I want to punch you in the face. Doesn't that work for you? You are dumber than a sack of hammers. Why don't you jump into the lake? Minnesota, Episcopalian, you know, it's just what we do. But seriously, it's a real question. What, what do we do with our anger? You know? It's become a cliche now whenever another mass shooting occurs. We go through the same litany, you know, what's it going to take? How many more children have to die before we do something about this? And more time goes by, and then it happens again and again, one obscenity piled up on another until this kind of hopeless paralysis sets in. You know? Zen Roshi and social scientist Joan Halifax, she calls this an edge state, a state of moral distress and futility. She says, it's when we see that something else needs to happen, children need to be protected, we feel a profound moral conflict and yet we can't do anything about it. So we enter into this state of moral outrage or we go into states of avoidance, addictive behaviors where we just don't want to deal with it or we just go into another state of withdrawal, into numbness, into freeze. She said, I think a lot of this world that is hooked up to the media right now over a good part of the globe is going numb. Joan Halifax says that one of our problems is how we experience compassion. She talks about brain studies that they've done on Tibetan monks. They're looking at these Tibetan monks with these functional MRI machines and comparing their results to ordinary folks like us. These are monks that have been meditating for thousands of hours. And when they're exposed to an image of someone who is suffering deeply, it turns out their brains light up much brighter and more intensely than most of our brains would. They're feeling that suffering very deeply. But then another thing happens. They also are able to let go of their distress much more quickly as well and return to their original peaceful state in the present moment. This is because unlike us, Joan Halifax says, unlike us, they are stabilized. They are grounded and rooted in their own beings. They have what she calls strong backs, soft fronts. Strong backs, soft fronts. Roshi Halifax says that when we are destabilized, and most of us are pretty destabilized, swimming in our own heads, mistaking ideas and opinions and anxieties and electronic images for reality, caught up in our desires and feelings and attachments, needs, relentlessly avoiding our own suffering, because we are destabilized, we're easily thrown into dysfunction when we encounter the deep suffering of others. And that, she says, helps no one. What she practices instead is a kind of compassionate response that doesn't lapse into paralysis and doesn't sacrifice groundedness. This is what gives her and so many mindfulness practitioners the capacity to sit in deep presence with dying people 
without losing their own joy. This is why she started working with police officers and military personnel to help them reclaim their mindful ground when they're tempted to fall into rage and stress and compassion fatigue. She's been working with police officers and military personnel about how to stay mindful and their own compassion stays active while they enter into situations where everyone else is losing their minds with anger and stress and fear, they are able to first de-escalate themselves and then de-escalate the situation. You know, in the news and in demonstrations, we see a lot of righteous anger thrown around, thrown at the police, and of course, that anger is real and justified and important to express when we protest the deaths of innocent children or of innocent African Americans. We are, we are preserving our own humanity. How can we not howl in protest when we see the crimes that we have seen? But what we don't see so much are the quiet efforts of people like Joan Halifax. We ask the police and the military to do things that dehumanize them, so we need to give them the tools they need to preserve their humanity. If we don't, we can't expect them to behave better the next time they think they see a black man with a gun. Roshi Halifax is modeling for us a very high level of gospel love. It's the kind of love that in the face of challenge draws closer rather than turns away. It's the kind of love that expresses curiosity toward the perceived enemy rather than standing behind a barricade and yelling at him. This is what made the work of Gandhi and Martin Luther King so important, of course, because in all of their actions, their biggest appeal was to the humanity of their enemies. When Dr. King asked for accountability, he wasn't asking that the police be held accountable to the law because in most cases the laws of segregation were on the side of the police. So he had to demand that the police and the protesters all be held accountable to their own humanity and then given the tools with which to do so. There's a Buddhist teacher named Brian Chance. He talks about how when you visit some of the old Buddhist temples in Vietnam, you're going to find two statues on either side of these gates. And on one side is a statue of a very gentle bodhisattva, smiling and welcoming. And on the other side is a fierce bodhisattva. Literally, he's called burning face bodhisattva. His face is burning, his eyes are burning, fire and smoke are coming out of his nose and mouth. This is the bodhisattva that keeps, they say, the hungry ghosts in check. The hungry ghosts personify those spiritual forces within us that destabilize us. They represent our desires and attachments and fears and anxieties. The burning face bodhisattva defends us against our own worst impulses. He's a kind of a police chief bodhisattva. Brian Chance says, we need his ferocity 
We need his ferocity to help establish order because only he can tame the wild, hungry ghosts. We need the burning face bodhisattva. We need the fierce Jesus of today's gospel. We need to know how to claim our anger and how to act on it in creative, prophetic acts of witness. And while we honor that fierceness, we also need to find ways to bring us closer together. The burning-faced bodhisattva, after all, is not there to attack our enemies on our behalf. He's there to defend us from our own worst temptations, our fear, our proclivity toward violence, our contempt for those who are different from us. On March 24th, a few weeks from now, a number of us Trinitarians are going to join our bishop in the parking lot outside this cathedral. That way? Yeah. <laughs> our bishop is going to join us in the parking lot and then we're going to travel down together to the waterfront to join a massive march that high school students are organizing against gun violence. Our bishop happens to be a member of Bishops Against Gun Violence. And so he would be delighted to have some company on this march. We'll have more information up on our website in the next few days if you're interested in joining. Our voices on that day will be loud. They actually even will be fierce. Because we cannot stand quietly by in the face of atrocities without losing our souls. But we will not be destabilized. We will not give in to the hungry ghosts of fear and division. We will maintain a spirit of good humor and civility. We will act to de-escalate potential threats to peace. We will strive to honor our shared humanity. In the end, this is not about politics. This is about humanity. This is about compassion with a backbone. This is about the fierce gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.